The war between Russia and its neighbor Ukraine, which used to be part of Russia, has been going on for two months now. Establishment Western media tells us that the bad guys are Russia and that the good guys are Ukraine. But thanks in part to our media's impressively long record of lies, propaganda, and outright ineptness, it makes sense why many would believe the opposite. Because whatever the activists at CNN and the New York Times say, you can begin by eliminating that as the truth. We also know that there is a significant deep state influence on the most powerful Western governments, which makes their actions automatically suspect. So oddly, there is now a portion of the American population who supports Vladimir Putin, a certified communist who is leading a government that arrests people just for disagreeing with its actions. So is it possible that what's happening here is a battle between two villains? I'm Paul Dragu, and in this Freedom is the Cure episode, we're taking a nuanced, non-binary look at the war, and we'll try to wade through a marshy information fog in order to establish a position that benefits everyone who values liberty. Joining me today is one of America's top investigative journalists. For nearly four decades, William Bill Jasper has been covering the most important stories. He served as an accredited correspondent at the United Nations in New York and at UN summits around the world. He has researched and written about the global collectivist threat extensively. He is the author of The United Nations Exposed and Global Tyranny Step by Step. He is also a senior editor for The New American Magazine. Bill, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure being here as always. So, Bill, on April 9th, the New American published a piece that you wrote called Bucha Atrocities, Were Perpetrators Russian Troops or Ukrainian Neo-Nazis? You dare to cast doubt on the Western media storyline that blames the gruesome murders of men, women, and children in Bucha on Russian troops. You made a case for why those terrible atrocities could have been a staged attack by Ukrainian neo-Nazi forces. But you didn't draw any conclusions. So, Bill, why would Ukrainians kill their own people? And are you saying it's possible that Vladimir Putin's claim of a significant neo-Nazi presence in Ukraine might actually be true? So we have a number of things to unpack here, uh, Paul. And uh, first of all, you asked a question. Is it possible that Ukrainian troops would have done this to Ukrainians? We don't have any trouble recognizing that Soviet and Russian troops under the charge of the Kremlin ha- have any problem with killing their own people, killing Russian citizens. Uh, and so we need to kind of keep that in mind when we look at Ukraine. Uh, what I did in the article is look at the facts on the ground, literally the facts on the ground, as they are available thus far in Bucha, which is a for those who haven't been following it, although it's been all over the news uh, since the beginning of the month, the beginning of April, uh, some massacres took place there. This is a a city uh, northwest, 25 miles northwest of Kiev. And on the first that we heard about this came from the New York Times, very reputable source, of course, the ones who who still uh, have not apologized for the the huge Holodomor, the uh, murder, execution by famine of millions of Ukrainians uh, in the 1920s and 30s under Lenin and Stalin. So 
The New York Times reported on April 2nd that there were these terrible atrocities and they showed photos. They had their photographer there of bodies lying in the street and mass graves. Uh, And there were reports of men, women, and children of rape, beheadings, mutilations, dismemberment, very horrendous crimes. No one is going to in any way defend those kinds of atrocities. And no human should. Right. However, the, the question is, who are the perpetrators? And so we were told that these were the Russian troops that did it as they were retreating from Bucha. Here, here are the facts that are important in the case. On uh, March 30th, the, tr- the Russian troops retreated, left Bucha. Uh, everybody seems to agree on that. On that day, the mayor of Bucha comes out, actually it's the following day, the 31st, he comes out and says on video, you can still see it on the on the Bucha Facebook page. I, I don't think they've taken it down. I didn't check this morning. I don't believe it has been disappeared yet. He is uh, very exultant and he is telling the people, this is a wonderful day of victory. The Russians have left. Uh, he goes on and on. and. There is nothing about the horror, nothing about these bodies lying all over the street, which one would expect. Uh, then he, we have a um, city councilwoman, Ekabatana, I forget her last name. Uh, she co- goes on uh, social media, there's video of her, and she says, folks, uh, the Russians left, but you have to stay in your homes because we now have the Azov Battalion here and they're going to cleanse the city. She uses those terms. We're going to cleanse the city of saboteurs and of uh, collaborators. And so then 48 hours later, the New York Times, who says they came in with the Azov Battalion, gives us these photos of bodies all over the street. Now, I've left out quite a number of things, but that's in a nutshell what we saw happen. And the conclusion, if you put everything together, the timeline and everything is that the Azov Battalion, which has been notorious for years as a Nazi militia, which Zelensky's government brought into the government as an official military body. It was a private militia. They have been notorious and not uh, just by so-called right-wing media. all of the, in my article, I cite and give links to a number of the different uh, left-wing Democrats uh, who have brought forth charges against the Azov Battalion going back several years. And in fact, conditioned U.S. aid to Ukraine several times on not giving any to the Azov Battalion or any of the, the groups associated with them. And you, you do, like you said, uh, you include in your article lots of... Um support for uh, our own government has acknowledged uh, what the, what the Azov battalion is capable of. Uh, so are you saying or is, is there some sort of um, suggestion that that maybe the reason those people were killed, say if they were killed by the Ukrainians was for, you know, maybe for siding with Russia is there. I don't know that much about that side of, of the of Ukraine, but we know that there is some Russian support there. Could that be a possibility? It, it absolutely could be. I, I mean, I don't I have not met any of the Azov battalion myself. I have not been there on the ground. I've talked to people who have and it the, the facts seem to comport with the concerns that have been expressed across the spectrum for the last several years. 
actually going back uh, eight or nine, uh, 10 years uh, by Western media, by human rights groups about the Azov Battalion being especially cruel, being very savage. Now, we, I tend to look at all of those things very skeptically, as do many other people who've, who've witnessed what's happened here in this country, particularly over the last five years. Anyone, we're accustomed to being accused, anyone who is to the, uh, to the right of Nancy Pelosi or uh, uh, Joe Biden of being accused of being Nazis, fascist, uh, racist, et cetera. Right, and so, so when a, a foreign group is accused of being fascist or Nazi or whatnot, uh, we should be skeptical as well. However, in this case, it seems uh, from uh, long before this incident came about, long before the Russian invasion, that the Azov Battalion had earned its uh, stripes as a genuine Nazi. In fact, some of the people who were involved, they, they say they're not even neo-Nazi, they're Nazi. They wear, they wear the SS uh, Wolf Angel uh, symbol on their uniforms and on their helmets, etc. So they they identify as being Nazis. So uh, in this particular instance, where uh, Putin said he was cleansing the area of the neo Nazis, he used that as one of his excuses for invading. Of course, he was using it for his own uh, right. purposes. The problem is uh, it was the Russians saying it, right? <laughs> right, and so uh, it. it I've written a follow-up article to this, pointing out a very important uh, historical lesson, which goes right back to Ukraine. In Poland in 1940, the Russians came in, the Soviets came in. We should distinguish between the Soviets, the communist Soviet government, and the Russian people. Uh, the Soviet Red Army came in. They took thousands of, they defeated uh, the Polish army. They took thousands of Polish officers captive and enlisted men. But there is an infamous massacre known as the Katyn Forest Massacre, in which 8,000 Polish officers were executed and buried in mass graves. In Ukraine, in Kharkiv, another mass execution of Polish officers, intellectuals, government officials, whatnot, were, were executed. And so total, uh, there were several others as well, over 22,000 Polish leaders were murdered, executed by the Soviets. They blamed it on the Germans, on the Nazis. Mm -hmm. And this was used to get more support for America to come in uh, into the war on their side. Now, the fact that the Soviets <clears throat> did it does not mean that the the nazis were the good guys we had two villains there and in, in this particular case one set of villains the communists carried out a terrible atrocity on a scale much larger than bucha and they blamed it on the on the germans on the nazis now that was uh preached as gospel in our media <clears throat> for decades and at the time uh franklin Delano roosevelt who was our president knew from his own ambassadors, from his own State Department, uh, about the facts on the ground that, no, this was the Soviets who had done it. They, but he didn't, <clears throat> he didn't want that to come out. The New York Times didn't want it to come out. <clears throat> and uh, so it didn't come out. Uh, we, we published things about it going clear back uh, 40 years ago. But it's just, it just was in the 90s when uh, Russia 
uh, began to acknowledge it, and it was just a decade or so ago that uh, Putin acknowledged that uh, that it was uh, the the Russians that did it, not the Germans. So it's imp <clears throat> it's important not to be manipulated by propaganda like this, so that we make decisions based upon emotions that are constructed by those who want to create a certain narrative to accomplish an objective. And in this particular case, they're doing everything possible to ramp up our emotions in order to get us to all jump behind a uh, the current foreign policy objective, which is to get America more and more involved in this war. Right. I was, I was going to ask about that, but I, you answered my question. Obviously, what Ukraine and Zelensky and, and the West would have to gain from this is uh, more involvement, you know, get... Uh, Get people. Oh, it's 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 been a it's been a huge uh, propaganda victory for them because who can side with uh, uh, evil people that uh, carry out these kind of atrocities? And so it, it automatically causes our emotions to want to run to the aid of of the victims. And in this case, if the victims and we don't know the 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 bodies that that we see there that are genuine victims of atrocities, we don't even know that they are or were collaborators or saboteurs. And even if they were, we believe in due process and, of, and not extrajudicial murders and even executions. <clears throat> if they're caught in the act, they, they don't justify uh, mutilations, uh, torture and atrocities. So, so, if the facts as we know them uh, tend to show that this was the uh, the Azov Battalion, there's another battalion known as the Safari Special Forces Battalion, which is not as notorious as the Azov, but according to many uh, other reports, is also guilty of these kinds of atrocities. They were in there also. But if they are the ones that carried this out, then they're the ones who should be on trial. And it gives us a much different look at what, uh, what really happened there and, uh, and the Zelensky's, Zelensky government's uh, involvement in it. I think this is a, it, it, it seems a little harder for people to, to process. Uh, I don't know if it's because we're used to, you know, binary outlook, uh, the way even history is pitched as a lot of times it's, it's like a, you know, like a J.R.R. Tolkien novel. There's you got your good guys and your bad guys. And and all you did was cast doubt on uh, you didn't conclude. I mean, who was the good guy and the bad guy? Now, with that being said is. Um, there is a lot of uh, what that has done is it has garnered, uh, maybe, I don't know if you exactly, but those who would do this type of reporting or those of us who have said, look, this is really not black and white at all. There's a lot of nuance in here. And like you said, this there isn't really a good guy in this. And it has garnered uh, accusations of, of pro-Putinism. And we do have some folks in, we have a lot of people. It seems like I don't. I don't know what what that number is, but there are some people who are pro Putin, and then there are those who you know are lobbying accusations of pro Putinism. So let's 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 kind of dive into that. First and foremost, the uh, the New American, as does the John Birch Society, has a long record of exposing uh, Putin, who he is, uh, the the communist that he is, the tyrant that he is, and so. Is, is Putin, for instance, is he fighting? Is he a hero now? Is he fighting the new world order? Is he, is he a great defender of Christianity? 
uh, you want to start diving into that. Let's 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 talk yes. about our not pro Putinism. Yes. Yeah, so this is very important because particularly in the last decade, but especially since the Trump era, with all of the very vicious attacks on not just President Trump, but on his policies and all of his supporters, we have seen how terribly rancid and wretched and uh, what a terrible lie machine our media is, the fake news media. And so people don't trust them at all. And so when the media starts attacking Putin, they think he must be a good guy. And that seems to be borne out by some of the much of the propaganda that's coming from Russia, in which Putin seems to be, to many people, the only uh, major leader in the world who is supporting Christianity. I said seems to be because I've I've dealt with this. I've spoken at Christian conferences and the pro-family, pro-life conferences where a significant number of people hold that view. Why do they believe that? Well, they look around our culture today and they see the president of the United States, uh, uh, Joe Biden, uh, just last week or the week before, proclaims uh, Transgender Visibility Week, and he's endorsing the transgenders, and he puts transgenders on there. We have the LGBTQ, LMNOP, XYZ lobby very militantly pushing every boundary uh, away here in the United States. They're, they're very uh, radical and militant up front about that now. We have the abortion lobby here going crazy. And Putin seems to be, because he has declared that L- the LGBTQ lobby is not welcome there, and uh, he's reduced uh, po- the uh, abortion uh, rate there, and he's opened the churches. And so that looks that looks very good uh, uh, compared to what we're seeing from Western leaders who are embracing all of the evils that are destroying our our, our Western what remains of our Christian civilization. Well said. We have been very upfront from the very beginning uh, when all the rest of the media was promoting Putin. If you do, uh, most Americans may not remember, but going back even before he was first named prime minister by Boris Yeltsin, clear back in 1999, Putin was welcomed to write a front page uh, op-ed uh, story for the New York Times. And so he, he was first introduced to the Western world by the New York Times. And he had a um, uh, essay title or op-ed titled, um, uh, the war we are in, or something like that. Anyway, I, I have it in one of my my new stories that's coming out. And we wrote about it at the time. He was he was saying, "Look, we're just like you. Uh, we have a terrorism problem here, and we need to come together, the West and and uh, Russia, and fight terrorism together." And the New York Times was all in favor of that. They're saying, "Yes, uh, Putin seems to be a, a great guy." And so then, after he gets put in as prime minister, they gave. A bunch more and so the rest of our media did too promoting putin saying oh he loves jazz he's a, a great new po- a potential ally for us we were saying no he's kgb he's been kgb his his whole life uh, yes it's possible he there are there are saul uh, road to damascus conversions but uh, we've got to see proof the rest of the media was all over him and george bush after 9-11, after 9/11 on, in 2001, after the terrorist attacks, again, uh, promoted this idea 
that uh, we have to join together with, uh, with uh, Putin as an ally against terrorism. And the media played up that, that Putin was the first world leader to call President Bush after 9-11. And so this was a wonderful example of what we could expect from Putin. So for the first 10 years of his prime ministership, president, and then prime ministership again, he, he and Medvedev rotated in and out of office there. We were uh, pretty much alone at the New American trying to tell people, look, uh, don't believe this. This is, a, this is a, a terrible deception because we pointed out all of the other things that he was doing, all the journalists he was killing, the dissidents he was killing, the assassin teams that he was sending over to Europe and other places to kill uh, dissidents, uh, the, the fake war that he launched in Chechnya based upon his own FSB KGB blowing up apartment buildings in Moscow and blaming it on the terrorists to justify going to war against uh, the terrorists in against the the people of Chechnya. So we were exposing him all along. So we are not pro-Putin. We've been consistent for over 22 years, going back to 1999 on him. And of course, before that, to uh, Chernyanko and Brezhnev and those who, who preceded him. So uh, there was a change that took place in 2008 when Putin, Russia, invaded uh, Georgia, not Georgia, United States, but the country of Georgia. And that caused a kerfuffle for a while and a bunch of the uh, foreign policy establishment, the Bush administration wants to tell that's your bad guy, Putin. And they kind of wrapped his knuckles and then they then they started uh, up with him again. And we had when uh, George Bush uh, was uh, succeeded by Obama, Obama was uh, was promoting Putin. So we've had Republicans and Democrats in the White House and in Congress promoting Putin for years. Hillary Clinton. Uh, has been a big promoter of Putin and, and and her husband Bill. And in fact, Hillary helped set up the Skolkovo, which is the big Silicon Valley of Russia. President Medvedev, who was uh, Putin's uh, sidekick, came over here to the Silicon Valley in uh, 2008 and met with all the big uh, uh, guys at, at Cisco Systems and, and Microsoft, et cetera, and invited them all over to, uh, to Russia. Hillary Clinton facilitated that. She went over there. Joe Biden went over there. You can see on still on the Wayback Machine uh, during the when Biden was vice president, he went over to Skolkovo. He met there with, the, uh, with Putin, with Medvedev. Uh, and Skolkovo has been built into this great big tech center in which our top tech companies have been building the technocracy there that is helping Putin carry out his various attacks. We were almost alone in, in opposing and exposing that. Everybody said, oh, this is wonderful. And so you had all the tech titans over there, all the big business, Goldman Sachs, uh, Citibank, all the, all the big uh, bankers and big business people saying this is a wonderful thing. And it went like that until 2014. And what happened in 2014? Well, that was uh, Putin's first invasion uh, of Ukraine in the Crimea. And so then supposedly all the, the, the media turned against him and he is now uh, the villain. They were 
promoting him all up until that time because he was going to bring help bring in, they said, and he said, a new world order. He was welcomed at the World Economic Forum even after the invasion in 2014. He and the other oligarchs who work very closely with him were big features at the World Economic Forum, which is the main center for globalist elites bringing forth this great reset for a new world order. The control center. Yes. So uh, Putin uh, has been helping bring along this new world order, uh, this reset of the whole uh, planet for quite some time. And when I was speaking at Christian groups and pro-life groups that that were confused about this, and it's easy to see why they are, because you can see propaganda coming from Russia, where you have long processions of people praying and singing hymns and carrying icons, and you see President Putin at a baptism where he is a godfather, and he's making the sign of the cross, and it looks uh, very good. Then you contrast that with the scenes that look like they're out of the abyss from the gay pride uh, parades, etc. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, well, this is this is the sacred, this is the profane. And uh, the the important thing to remember here, and I brought it out in in this article and previous articles of a special uh, issue that we're putting together right now. It'll be out next week. This is not the first time that the communist leadership in the Kremlin has used religion like right. this. Uh, back uh, during World War II, when you remember at the beginning of the, of the war, uh, Hitler and Stalin were working together. They were dividing up Europe between them. They were allies. So we, we had the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, the Stalin-Hitler Pact. And then, as always happens in these kinds of criminal enterprises, um, just as we have in the mafia and the drug cartels and whatnot, uh, the thieves, the murderers have a falling out and they turn on each other. And so when Hitler turned on Stalin, uh, he was getting his tail kicked and he needed help. And so he says, we've got to get the Russian people behind us. So So many of the Russians were still opposed to the communist regime. So we, we have to use nationalism and religion. And so he really appealed to the nationalist patriotism. Look, Mother Russia is being invaded. We mm-hmm. must stop the invaders, the barbaric invaders. And we needed the spiritual backing, the moral backing of spiritual authority to do this. So they resurrected the Russian Orthodox Church, and they simply ordained a bunch of communist apparatchiks to be bishops and metropolitans, and they released some from who were genuine, who were in prison. And they said, look, come back out. Uh, we, we know the error of our ways. We need, uh, we need religion here. And a lot of them went along with it, and they were able to get the Russian people to uh, come behind them. And that's what they're doing now and have been for the last uh, 20 years. Russia recognizes that, uh, and it's in their own literature, and it's in uh, literature of demographers all over the all over the world. That Russia was facing is facing a very critical time in its demography. They are dying. They have an aging population. They have been the leader of abortion since the communists took over in the Bolshevik Revolution. That's where the big push for abortion came from. 
uh, going clear back to the early 1920s. And so for several generations of doing this, they, they now are, are dying. And they, they recognize the Russian Academy of Science says that if they don't reverse this, that by 2050, the United Kingdom will be, have a higher population than they do. So because they've already destroyed demographically such a large segment of uh, the child-producing uh, womanhood, uh, they now are encouraging people to have not just two children, but three, four, five, six children. And they say that might not even be enough. So we're going to have to import from Dagestan, Tajikistan, the Stan sisters, etc., more population, younger population. Mm -hmm. But that would be a little bit problematic because so many of them are Muslim and that could cause uh, more, more friction. So what we're seeing now in the suppression of abortion and of the LGBTQ, because they recognize that if you have a bunch of uh, lesbians, homosexuals, whatnot, they're not going to naturally have children. They're right, going to have to. What they are promoting now is the same as when they were fighting Hitler. Uh, it's not for a, for a moral purpose, a moral reason. They're doing it for a very practical, pragmatic reason. We need religious fervor and natural families in order to repopulate. So they see humans as rabbits that, you know, now you want them to produce. Now you don't want them to. We'll keep them in cages, but we're going to go and do it. You, you, uh, you wrote about that at least one time uh, in uh, 2014. You know, you're a Putin defender of Christian faith and morality. I don't know if you remember that article. And you documented, you know, names of, of communist agents who are, you know, put at the head of, of the churches and whatnot. And, and um, as you said, it's people are looking over here. We're seeing the depravity, the decadence. And obviously, uh, there's a lot of... Um, it seemed, maybe it makes sense. You know, here you have a, a, a leader who, who's standing up for Christianity and whatnot. Now, I wanted to go back to, you were talking about uh, how he is part of the, the, the globalist system, perpetuating uh, this oncoming Great Reset type uh, system. Is it possible, because you earlier you also mentioned the, the break between Hitler and, and Stalin. Is it possible that in between all the things that he has said has shown that he is part of that. He, he's very well on board with it. That there may have been a break between Putin and the uh, the strategists and the planners, of the in the globalists of the Great Reset. Yeah. So this is um, you know this is one of the speculative areas that um, I've had this debate with friends of mine who follow this very closely. And so the the question is, in any kind of arrangement like this. I, I mentioned earlier the mafia or the drug cartels. They do from time to time have conferences and get-togethers where they decide, okay, let's work together. Let's <clears throat> divide up uh, things and let's not be fighting amongst each other. And they unify the drug cartels, gangs in various uh, cities, or traditionally we, we know about the mafia uh, doing this, the various mafia families. And at times, they completely work together, and at various times, they pretend to be fighting amongst each other to play off uh, law enforcement against uh, uh, and, and government agencies. But many times, they actually do end up uh, fighting amongst themselves. And so when we're looking here at, at Putin, and not just him, but Ukraine, Belarus, as it's called now, 
uh, or Tajikistan or uh, any of the other Stan sisters that are former communist countries. They're still run by communist, former communist uh, intel operatives. Um, it's always difficult to know how much of their this cooperation they're doing with the West and then the breaks with the West, how much of it is real and how much of it is staged. We do, we do know this, that as much as the Biden administration and the media from the start of the war, when they began putting sanctions upon Russia, we were told, oh, this is going to this is going to destroy Russia. And the ruble went down overnight uh, by 40 percent is since recovered. And we look at the sanctions that were supposedly going to destroy Putin. And we see that really they didn't do the things that they should have done if they really wanted to punish him. In fact, they drove up the price of oil and he has benefited from this. Putin has. He, and we've uh, been hurt more by him than, than they have, haven't they? Sure. Uh, and, and if he really wanted to hurt Putin, if Biden's administration, who's totally uh, World Economic Forum, Council on Foreign Relations, Global New World Order. I mean, his Build Back Better program was taken right from the United Nations and the World Economic Forum. Verbatim, right? Verbatim. I mean, uh, he and Boris Johnson and Justin Trudeau and all the rest of these World Economic Forum apparatchiks were all saying the same thing, the exact same words, Build Back Better. Build. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was all contrived. If Biden truly wanted to hurt Putin, he would have done what Donald Trump did. Donald Trump released our energy industry to go forward and produce our coal, our oil, our natural gas, and not only make America net energy independent, but where we were actually exporting and earning, <clears throat> earning money from, uh, from our energy resources. Biden has made us more dependent Russia, not only us, but because of supply and demand has made many of the other countries of Europe and other countries that are dependent upon uh, imports of energy, made them net exports of financing to, to Putin. So if he really wanted to, to hurt Putin, he'd release the Keystone pipeline. He'd say, mm. drill, baby, drill. Uh, we're going to uh, go after all of our different energy sources and, and use them as we should. But he's not doing that. There's another very important thing. One of the central features of the Great Reset, which is the program put forward by the World Economic Forum, by Klaus Schwab and all of his Davos billionaire elites, is the imposition of a cashless society. They've called for a central bank digital currency, CBDC. Mm -hmm. And on March 9th of this year, for the first time, the president of the United States issued an executive order to begin putting us into a central bank digital currency. So what does that mean? That means, as the World Economic Forum has explained it, that we will end up with, if they are successful, a social credit system, digital digitized currency like they have in communist China. How do we know that? Well, Zhu Min, who's one of the top economists for, for China uh, and who has helped design their digital currency, is one of the big uh, head guys at the World Economic Forum. And when they have, you can go online to the World Economic Forum, look up central bank digital currencies, and you will see Zhu Min and other communist Chinese economists 
right there at the World Economic Forum with all the, the billionaires of Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and uh, Richard Branson and Mike Bloomberg, all of those folks, they're, they're in real tight with the communist Chinese and they think that that's a wonderful system. And so on March 9th, and this is executive order, uh, President Biden said, we're going to start exploring. He wants the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department to start exploring, he said, the central bank digital currency. They're not exploring it. This has already been the Federal Reserve, the Bank for International Settlements, Bank of England, Bank of Canada. All the central bankers have been meeting like they do every year at the Jackson Hole Wyoming Conference and at the World Economic Forum and at the Group of 30. Uh, they've been uh, pushing this for a number of years and they've been working very closely with the Chinese Communist government. And in China, if you want to see where this would be going, look at what's happening in China. You cannot buy anything there. You cannot go anywhere without a camera being on you. They have uh, hundreds of millions of cameras everywhere. And if you say anything on your social media, or if you do anything that they disapprove of, if you don't clap hard Xi enough Xi. when Xi Jinping's uh, speeches are, are broadcast, uh, that goes as a negative on your social credit system, and you might not be able to buy any food, gas, or, or anything else. So uh, this is this is very important. And Putin's invasion of of Ukraine is helping us move in that direction. How it's going to, uh, along with what we've already seen happen in the last two two years with COVID, and all the massive in, uh, spending uh, that is now starting to really be be seen in the inflation as all of that comes into the system. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is bringing us now to the point with the energy and the inflation uh, to where the US dollar is in a very precarious position. And right. it's going to, will it push us over the edge into this central bank digital currency? A lot of people think it will. A lot of economists think that that's where, where we're headed. So there's a, there's a lot of factors at play here, which uh, go way beyond what we're, we're seeing in our regular news, whether it's, whether it's Fox or CNN or whatnot, they all seem to be promoting this idea that we have to get involved further and further into this, into this war. Well, Bill, let's let's finish it up. Let's wrap it up with this because I think this put a good bow tie on it. We there's no real heroes here. We've we've established that this is this is dangerous all around. What is a winning position? What is a position that people who love liberty, those of us who who value it and want to liberty to prevail, should take? How do we look at what's going on uh, in this conflict in in the context of, of liberty prevailing? That's a tough question, and it's 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 tough to answer because the globalists who are pushing the current narrative know how powerful it is for good people to see injustice on this kind of a scale and to see all the tragedy that's happening with the victims, the refugees, the people who are being killed, the devastation that is being caused, and to not respond in a heroic way. We should go in and help. We're being manipulated there. Uh, there is nothing that we can do to actually stop this in terms of going in under NATO uh, or the UN and fighting the Russians on this, on this issue. We don't want it to go into nuclear war. 
the the effort now is to get us to commit more fully uh, in NATO, and th this is being used to push to pull more of the countries of Europe uh, into NATO to feel that oh, we have to have our membership in here in order to uh, survive against Russia. That is destroying more of the sovereignty of the nation state and pushing mm -hmm. people more and more into regional governments, which is what NATO and the EU have have become for all of Europe. And it is it is empowering the United Nations. Right now, the big push is on to use this as an example to empower the International Criminal Court at the United Nations, because we have these atrocities, we have to we have to bring Putin and all these other people to trial that can be used against us. They want to empower NATO. And uh, I've done other articles on NATO showing all of the ultra communists, including terrorists, former terrorists that are running various parts of NATO. And so NATO is not a good organization for us to rely on for, for anything. There. Or to so, be part of, right? To be part of. So the answer for Americans is to go back to our constitution. Our constitution does not give us, give the federal government authority to go off on all these different things. If we're going to have, if they're going to get involved in something, they have to actually declare war. Congress has to declare war. And if Congress declares war, then at least you have a backing of the American people, presumed, mm -hmm. for them to do it. If not, they'll be voted out of office. Uh, we have seen since World War II, the United States get involved in one conflict after another, never with a declaration of war. Right. And that is, uh, and that just gives the president then basically unlimited power to conduct uh, yeah. warfare all over the world. Well, Bill, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to explain this complicated mess. Uh, so we look forward to having you back and we look forward to your upcoming work on it. So folks- thank you. The deep state is using Russia's invasion of Ukraine to empower and expand NATO, along with other international organizations like the United Nations. This is all part of the effort to build a new world order. If the globalists have their way, we can expect more foreign wars as well as attacks on American principles. The Biden administration has sent U.S. troops to Eastern Europe. But rather than entangling ourselves further in NATO and Russia and Ukraine, the U.S. should fully withdraw from NATO. NATO is a UN subservient alliance and it threatens US national sovereignty. Again, it's very important that Congress follow the advice of the founding fathers and withdraw the US from this entangling alliance. So tell your congressperson to get us out of NATO instead of expanding it. And then join the JBS and start pitching in the effort to restore national sovereignty and personal liberty. And remember that whatever the societal problem, freedom is the cure.